Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome on into Sports Talk, our Friday edition. And Mardi Gras getting underway. Lots going on in the city. Cannot wait to get my Mardi Gras action going. Uh, Won't be going to any parades tonight, but definitely have family golf planned for Sunday with the Mad Hatters Parade. And look who just came back from the changing room. Jeff Nowak, same sideline reporter, now in a tux. Yeah, and I and I ran over here, so I'm a little out of breath. But yes, I'm getting ready. There's Mardi Gras things happening. Well, Jeff is ready to do it up big tonight. Happy to welcome in the Cajun Cannon, Bobby Abair, to the radio huddle now. Cajun Cannon, definitely appreciate the time on your day off, but what do you think of hearing the news? The Saints have targeted their offensive coordinator, and it is Clint Kubiak, passing game specialist with the San Francisco 49ers. Well, uh, I'm just glad uh, that he's not a virgin calling plays. Uh, you know, that's what he yeah. didn't need. And, uh, you know, it's, it's that's an art. I'm telling you, the NFL level to call plays now, that being only one season in 2021 with the Vikings. Uh, so you're looking at uh, previous experience as the offensive coordinator calling plays. And, you know, not necessarily that they're right home about. I think, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins, uh, very similar, I think, to Derek Carr as far as uh, stability. Uh, not, you know, view them as the best quarterbacks, but still you would say um, on the best day, they could be top 10, some 10, 11, 12 around there. So, and then him being associated now uh, with the 49ers as the passing game coordinator, and just look how the steadiness of Brock Purdy. So, no, I, I, I think it's a big win. I don't know how Saints fans could be upset with this. I, I'd like to, if any fan, I don't know if y'all got any uh, texts or callers that were, anti this I, I would like to hear their rationale uh behind that uh but i think it's a big win uh when you look at it i'm actually familiar with that name i know his dad <laughs> that's your, I, I know gary kubiak he was the backup for john elway when i was playing um when uh you know we we when he was dealing both with the broncos and um you know it is going back a long time but you know, it's it's amazing how networking and who you know get your foot and all in the door. Uh, D.A. Uh, Dennis Allen keeps those Texas A&M uh, connections going. <laughs> you know, Gary sure Kubiak, does. quarterback there, and then Clint. That's not a coincidence. So it's who you're familiar with, and I guarantee you he's it, somewhere in the past he's met uh, Clint Kubiak, probably when he was a little boy or, you know, different times or – I'd say that would be uh, my case, you know, dealing with uh, his dad, Gary Kubiak. But well, Bobby, I got, I got one for you here. Yeah. So Gary Kubiak was the running backs coach at Texas A&M when Dennis Allen was there playing. Well, you see, that, that <laughs> right then, it, it's amazing how you cross paths. And um, and I don't know, I, I, I would be surprised if Clint Kubiak does not have success as offensive coordinator of – because he's one, and he realized, even though you're the passing game coordinator, he realized how important uh, the run game is and that rushing attack. You know, people look at the 49ers and their stability, and you say, oh, well, who maybe, like you look at the regular season, and I guess who has the more stable teams, and 
even though I don't go against Pat Mahomes, that's that's I don't know. You get burned like when you go against Tom Brady, but I think you would think on the paper that uh, the Forty Niners got a better team, and uh, look at the Ravens and how they were structured. You got it. Listen, you're passing game coordinator, but you're still involved. How you set up plays, calling run plays, and all that. Uh, you just look at Shanahan's teams. Uh, you look at they're always known for their creative rushing attack. You know, this day and age, you always want to look. You know, in the passing game and everything, but um, you know, relying on that outside zone concepts and motion, and then um, trying to help you out to dictate coverage, whether it's zone or man, and all that, and then you mix in a good order play action. So uh, I think there's no excuse for uh, Derek Carr to not have success, and I think uh, Derek Carr uh, was all on board uh, for this with Clint Kubiak uh, coming on board. Yeah, Bobby. You know, the the interesting thing for me is just. You know, you know, the Saints kind of zeroed in on Clint, I think, pretty early on. And that's why, you know, I kept hearing people say, oh, why aren't they going faster? Why aren't they rushing this process and hiring somebody? Well, like they, they could be still coaching. <laughs> exactly. And, and you know, I think this is a good example for people. It's like patience is, is a virtue for a reason, right? Like there's this idea that the first person that gets hired, like, oh, no, they didn't get that guy. And then the next person, oh, no, they didn't get that guy. If Clint was – at the top of their list from the beginning, then this is a massive win. And I think, you know, some teams wouldn't have been patient enough to wait out a team that makes it to the Super Bowl. And you still can't finish out this contract quite yet because he's still playing. But I just think, I don't know, like, I think that the Saints have it right in the the idea that you don't need to rush. There's plenty of time. You know, there's only 32 of these jobs. Like, it's not like there's only 32 guys on the planet who can be the offensive coordinator in the NFL be an offensive coordinator in the NFL. So I, I don't know. I, I appreciate the way they went through this process. I appreciate how wide they cast their net. Um, and I think they ended up with the right guy. Well, he has, uh, you know, everyone's talking about Zach Robinson. I was a Zach Robinson fan. I know uh, Mike Dettelier was, mm-hmm. uh, but he has more experience calling plays than Zach Robinson. Right. Uh, when you look Robinson, uh, you know, uh, obviously, you know, when he's in McVeigh and all and, and being part of the game plan and all that and being the quarterback coach and, you know, what he was able to do with uh, with Matthew Stafford. But, uh, you know, it's going to be intriguing, boy. It's going to make uh, in, in the NFC South, you know, everybody said, we got to get younger. We've got too many old farts around here. Well, uh, you look, Zach Robinson's 37 years old and Kubiak's 36. So, shoot, uh, I, I, man, I finished playing I was 37. <laughs> You know, you get to the point of that. That's when you know you've played a long time in the league. And you start when you're getting in your 30s and you look at, i never forget, uh, Coach Morris' son, J.L. Moore, you know, ended up being a head coach uh, with, uh, with the Falcons and then all over. I think he's now the head coach at UConn. I remember when he came on the staff, I said, man, I'm actually older than a couple of coaches on the staff. So that, that, that's when you know you've been around. But I think that brings a, a lot of – you know, uh, hype, but uh, yeah, a lot of young, uh, vibrant coaches, uh, you know, and uh, well in their uh, prime. And, and look, this could be a building block. Uh, I think, uh, okay, I'm just going to say this now. I think Clint Kubiak will have success with the Saints, and then one day he'll be an NFL head coach like his dad was. That's what I think. Cajun Cannon, you looking at the Saints coaching staff right now on offense. Still need a running back coach, a wide receiver coach. But I wouldn't imagine that the Saints make any moves just yet, obviously, until this Kubiak deal can be finalized, right? Oh, yeah. Why would you? I mean, if I'm the offensive coordinator, I want the coaches who I want. 
Right. I mean, do, you, do you think do you think any of the guys currently on staff could be in danger? Well, I I don't know what um, what Clint Kubiak uh, thinks, and uh, you know, and like with Doug Marone, the offensive line coach, right. maybe, like you said, uh, the running back coach, receivers. No, he's definitely going to have input that he has to have input in that. And Dennis Allen will trust him. No, he's really the head coach of the offense now. Even though Dennis Allen is the head coach, Dennis Allen is not running the offense. You know, you might. Whether you're going forward on fourth down or not, uh, you know, a decision to be made as a head coach. But as far as – as I always said this, uh, the Saints really need to get back to where uh, – play better against the run. If the defense doesn't play well, that's Dennis Allen's fault because that's his baby. Even when he became a head coach, he said, uh, no, I'm, I'm the head coach, but I'm still uh, going to be the defensive coordinator. I'm calling the defenses. Now, you get help putting a game plan and all together. It was very similar to Sean Payton, even though he was the head coach. He wasn't telling them what to do on defense, uh, you know, or anything like that. No, he was calling plays and all that. So, uh, I think Dennis Allen has a lot of confidence in Clint Kubiak, and I think Mickey Loomis also. Uh, so, you got to wait and see. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we want to be more optimistic, but you got to be realistic. And I, and I think this would be a great accomplishment. It doesn't mean you're winning anything. Uh, just think if if we did next season what Tampa Bay did this season. And remember, we kicked Tampa Bay's behind at the end of the season. But look what they did. They won the NFC South. They hosted a playoff game, and they won. And all of a sudden, they're, they're in the Final Four. Now, uh, to me, that would be a big win. Now, we got to get back to the playoffs, three straight years not being in the playoffs. But to me, that'd be a big win, and you know the team's heading in the right direction. At first, you got to win your division, win the NFC South, host a playoff game, and not only host it and win it, then all of a sudden you're taking that next step to get back to the Super Bowl and the NFC Championship. Thanks for giving us some time on your day off, Cajun Cannon. Be talking to you more on Monday. All right. Uh, yeah, Jeff's got to give us another report uh, next week. His final final copy of the Senior Bowl, and all. Uh, and I know he has some prospects for the draft. Definitely, he'd want the Saints to take. So I'll be interested in that. <laughs> Sounds good, Bobby. Thanks. <laughs> all right. Talk to y'all later. That was the Cajun Cannon, Bobby Abair. Check out always his work online, www.com. All his comments in the podcast section you can check out. I'll be back with more of Sports Talk right after this. Going to get into some Pelicans talk as they got the Spurs coming up at 7 o'clock. Going to talk to Ali Cosell of thebirdrights.com right here on WWL. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. 
Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. A little over a half hour away, the Pelicans will be tipping off in San Antonio against the Spurs. The Birds snapped a three-game skid last time out, beating the Houston Rockets, now looking to start a win streak, and they're coming to a close on a four-game road trip. We'll help you to welcome in Ali Cosell, the editor-in-chief of thebirdrights.com, to help us talk about it all. Ali, how you doing this Friday? Hey, Steve, I'm doing well, and you're right. Pelicans do need a bounce back, and I think schedule's favorable for kind of a win streak, so let's hope they get tonight against the Spurs. Yes, indeed, and I was telling Jeff, who's sitting across from me here, a little bit of good news just before getting you on. I was seeing Zion Williamson with his left mm-hmm. bone contusion is available for tonight's tilt. Yeah, and look, I know that maybe people see the Spurs at the bottom of the Western Conference and you don't need him, and who knows, but it always helps, right, to ensure that you're going to get a victory when you got the big guy back, and more to the point, the fact that he's suiting up against one of these, you know, lesser opponents, so to speak, and not taking a day of rest means he's probably really close, if not at 100%. That's definitely great news. <laughs> uh, you know, Ali, one of the things that this last kind of two weeks, three weeks has made clear, I think, is, you know, just where the Pelicans stand in kind of the pecking order. It's funny, they're sitting around fifth, sixth, and that's kind of where they are, right? I think that's just the reality of where this Pelicans team is right now. And that's not a negative thing. That's just, you know, where you are in the process. But I do wonder, as you watch this team, as you watch Willie Green even, like I think we talk about the players, we talk about the development there. I think as a coach you learn and you get better over time. And uh, do you think Willie has some 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 growth to, to maybe find in terms of some of these rotations? Because I know it's come under criticism of, and I, I you know, Brian Scalabrini on the Celtics broadcast giving him a hard time. And, you know, I, how do you feel about that? Because it does seem like at times – Maybe Willie's getting taught lessons uh, in these games, and it's like, why'd you do that? Why'd you do that? I'm just curious how you kind of land on that. Yeah, so I think I was a lot more critical of Willie's rotations last season and his misuse of, say, like a Jonas Valanciunas or somebody else that's a weapon that just wasn't fully utilized. I've seen so much less of that this year, guys. To where Willie's reacted a lot more um, quickly or even, even just had a change in heart or mindset with rotations. Like, for instance, Jordan Hawkins entering the regular rotation over Jose Alvarado, who's now, you know, when everybody's healthy, he's not one of the top ten guys. So he's made some, like I said, difficult decisions, but I think for the betterment of the team. So, no, I, I just feel like he's pushing more of the right buttons this year. And I think, honestly, a lot of credit also has to go to James Borrego, who's on the sidelines giving him a hand. by right? such an experienced voice. And, look, when you're talking about rookie head coaches or people that are so young in that position in the league, they make mistakes. I mean, I won't forget last season how often under fire Joe Mazzulla came, right? And especially once the Celtics bowed out in the playoffs, boy, he heard it left and right, but yet they kept them. And now look at where Boston is, number one in the league, and you don't hear any more of those calls for his, you know, head. <laughs> so, no, I just think, yes, you have to expect some growth, and we're seeing with Willie, but like I said, he's trending in the right direction. And for me, when you have some of these in some of these losses, if you want to point to, there's much bigger issues at play. For instance, I think the stars still need to be stars, right? Brandon Ingram and Zion haven't lived up to the billing like I think we all expected based on what we've seen from them in previous years. 
Yeah, right. Sadly, nobody from the Pelicans in the All-Star game this year being uh, having representation. Uh, curious, Ali, your opinion here on 34 games just left in the season already. I know it might seem like a lot. It really isn't. Uh, Pelicans sit in 27-21, and 21, 7th in the Western Conference. What are realistic expectations for this team to finish at? Can they make it into the top six? I think they can definitely grab the sixth spot and maybe a super outside kind of chance for five. Right, you've got a pencil in Oklahoma City, Minnesota, Denver, and the Clippers as right. your top. It definitely feels right. like that, right? They fall off a cliff, right? With injuries, they're safe. Suns are training in the right direction, but hey, those big three, right? A Booker, Durant, and Beal—they're never a sure bet to make it through. You know, even twenty, thirty games. So, still a lot of games left, and I'm not sure if Phoenix can hang on. It's really going to depend on if they can shore up the rest of their lineup too. Besides Grayson Allen, I don't know who you can point to that you can trust, right? So they're a team that you watch for, see how they do. But I think the Pelicans are better than the Kings. I think they're better than the Mavericks. And they just haven't been playing their best against the best over probably the last three and a half weeks. But like I said, since the middle of November or so, they've been honestly one of the top six teams to me. And all the numbers say it. The eye test usually says it. I just wish they'd stop having these duds, right, against <laughs> elite teams because that's what gives, I think, people cause for having a lot of doubt. And I think those things will get ironed out. Stars play like stars. You figure out some clutch time, right? figure out an offense to get going in the last five minutes of close games, they'll be fine. Uh, do you think the Pelicans make a move at the trade deadline? And if they do, where would you where would you be leaning? No, for the last month, I have been pessimistic in those regards. I think they're going to stand pat, simply because the market is really light on players they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And also a lot of the ones they have kind of had their eye on, like over the last year, maybe a little bit less, they're no longer on the board. Like so Jared Allen with Cleveland. He's playing at an all-star level, and they're certainly not going to move him with how well they're playing. Um, other centers around the league, like Wendell Carter, Nicholas Claxton, their teams, their respective teams have pulled them back, saying they're no longer available. So if there's, if there's no clear upgrade right, to make a center, why would you make a move for a lesser one? Because Jonas Valanciunas, I think, is, you know, I think he's being a little bit, you know, mis- misaligned, right? Media-wise, I think he's a very much of a been a positive this team, and you see it every time he plays big minutes. He helps the team win. And I've got to point out, anytime he plays 27 minutes in a game, Pelicans are 14 and six. So they just need to go to him more consistently. And the rest of the roster, it's deep. In the past, we talk about shooting. Don't need the shooting, really. It's just leadership, closing out games. So if there was a veteran point guard to become available, maybe you go sneak out and grab one. But there's really none, right? I'm watching just Kyle Lowry. you got to watch the buyout market. Mm-hmm. So they've already moved on from Kyra Lewis. They don't have to worry about shedding salary. I really think this is going to be the roster they keep. Uh, but maybe they'll try and pick up a Kyle Lowry if he was to get waived with the Charlotte Hornets. Maybe Matt Ryan gets a real NBA contract, right? Leave that two-way status. But other than that, yeah, no big moves. Not until the summer. You know what? My last question, you know, Trey Murphy, you know, I, I feel like, and this is just me kind of, Basing off of I've watched a few games and he just feels like he's I don't know I don't want to say crisis of confidence in terms of like I don't think he's lost confidence but the shot doesn't seem to be going in at the rate that you would expect in terms of he's getting some open shots especially these corner threes that should be good looks and I just wonder you know what what is your read on on him at this point it it feels like he may be going through a going through a lull here how does he break out of that yeah he's definitely in a slump right now and I don't think he lacks the confidence to shoot the shot, but I think right now, yeah, you're right, Jeff. He's lacking the confidence to make the shot, and it's really noticeable um, because there's been hesitation. Right when he's been open, if he's like a foot or two behind the three-point line, he's hesitating. 
you know, when he was in a good streak there for a while, he wasn't hesitating. And there's other parts of the game, too, where you're just seeing, right, there's indecision. And that's bound to happen. I mean, he's really legitimately hasn't even gotten two full years under his belt because of injuries and or lack of playing time, right, going back to his rookie season. So he's still a guy that is developing. And so when you suddenly have, you know, bad games or, or you don't come through in the clutch right when your team needs you, you have a turnover, you're going to think about it. I think that's a natural inclination. And so he's just going through that period. So let's just hope he gets rid of it soon, right? And I think, hey, it's better for him to have this slump now than when games get tight down the stretch and need to win a few or in the playoffs. And I think he'll be fine by then. Always great. Always great stuff from you, Ali, and thank you for the time. Uh, hoping the Pels get a win tonight and then back home Monday, uh, really short time at home, one game against Toronto, and then it's back on the road again. Yeah, but fortunately, this isn't really murderer's row, right? Seven <laughs> right. games, I believe, left before the All-Star break. Really, it's just that trip to L.A., right? The Lakers-Clippers. But other than that, every team's beatable on the schedule. So you hope that they really finish with a lot more wins here soon. Yeah, and if I'm staying up for late-night hoops, they better pull out the victory, too. Thanks again, yeah. Ali. Yeah, guys, have a good one. Take That's time. the editor-in-chief of thebirdrights.com. You can check out his work there, Ali Cosell. We'll be right back with more sports talk. Get into a little more senior bowl talk. What had uh, LSU head coach Brian Kelly had to say at the session here on WWL. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Welcome back into Sports Talk. Want to get more into our sound bank of the Senior Bowl, brought to you by the Spirit of First American Bank, a banking tradition since 1910. LSU head coach Brian Kelly took some time at the Senior Bowl to speak to folks. Uh, Center Charles Turner, the third and defensive tackle, Jordan Jefferson on there, talked about that. And a few more things. Here's what Kelly had to say. Coach, a busy uh, off-season. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> this pesky that. day job is keeping me away from my bad golf. Um, no, I mean, obviously, um, we're getting to the tail end of recruiting. It, it's It's been a, obviously a whirlwind because there's so many things going on. Transfer portal, NIL, retention of your own players, uh, development of your own players. But I think we've done a really good job. We've had to hire some new coaches as well. Um, that's been part of the... Uh, off season, but uh, I think we're in a really good place right now as we get into February, and um, in a week or so, we'll be able to really focus on the team uh, that's on campus, and that's a good thing. Blake Baker coming back, what did you see from him and why? Well, I got a chance to spend a little bit of time with Blake, but anytime there's a transition, it's very difficult to you know, commit to anybody because you're, you're bringing in a whole new philosophy and a, and a way of doing things. Um, so, you know, I was impressed with him. And then obviously the work that he did at Missouri and, and as an SEC um, opponent, we got a chance to see him firsthand and um, was impressed with his work, um, his ability to recruit. Uh, and then certainly the relationships that he built at LSU when he was at LSU um, made him a logical choice. Bo Davis, you know, when we talk about the best defensive line coaches uh, in the country, his name keeps coming up. And so I got a chance to spend some 
time with him and, and talked to him about coming back to LSU. And, you know, it wasn't an easy decision. He was at a great school and a great program. But um, I think the ability to come here and come back uh, to LSU was attractive to him. Uh, the ability to build something here, great, um, I think, uh, was attractive. And certainly uh, teaming him with Kevin Peoples, who is an outstanding defensive line coach who sometimes gets into the shadows um, but is in his own right one of the best in the business. I think we've got uh, two two outstanding coaches there that uh, are going to do a great job. Have you ever had co-coordinators like for the OC position now? Yeah, I mean, I think I've had them in, in, in my career. I mean, uh, Joe will take, you know, the, the chief responsibilities uh, and, and certainly be the play caller. Uh, Cortez will have a major role as well. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, if, if you don't like the play call, you can see me and you can see Joe. Um, so, uh, you know, I think we'll have a clear delineation in terms of the roles. Um, both of them are outstanding. Joe will be the play caller. Joe will obviously still have the quarterbacks. And um, I think it'll be a team approach in terms of, you know, we've got great coaches. Brad Davis does a great job with the offensive line. Frank Wilson, uh, you know, Cortez certainly. Uh, Slade Nagel is an experienced uh, offensive coordinator from Tulane who's done, you know, great things at Tulane. He gives us an experienced um, play caller as well. So I think we're going to lean on the group. Um, and Joe will get the lead in terms of the play caller. What's the response that you heard, not only from your team, but from the recruits as well, about just all of the changes and maybe how much they approve of, of some of the coaches that you played? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, more than anything else, uh, for me, uh, it's making decisions that are in the best interest of the program, first and foremost. Um, what is going to be able to give us the best opportunity to recruit, um, retain, our players, and, and then certainly develop and win football games. I mean, that's the most important thing. Now, if we get positive feedback on the other end, too, that's certainly a great thing as well. And look, make no mistake about it, um, when we're doing our vetting process and finding coaches, we're, we're taking everything into consideration. We're listening to all forms of social media. We're listening to the, the, the reports that we hear, and, and we're doing a deep dive on everything. So, you know, if, if there's lots of negative noise out there um, we hear it. it doesn't mean it's going to influence a final decision but we're listening to everything everything that came up on on the staff members that we've hired has been very very positive you have two guys here uh, yeah in Jordan Jefferson and Charles Turner. can you just talk a little bit about each and why you feel like they can contribute to an NFL team so first and foremost, both of these guys have had a thoughtful uh, and really deliberate plan and, and how they're moving forward with the NFL. First of all, both of them played in the bowl game. Um, you know, certainly um, that's something that you have to think about. Um, so they've practiced a lot going into this game. Uh, they played in a game. Uh, they put out film recently uh, in, in January. And then, obviously, stayed in shape going right into this practice session. Um, so it's no surprise that they're doing well right now. Jordan Jefferson was one of, arguably, one of our best defensive players uh, the last half of our season. He's showing that right now. He's physically strong. He's able to take on blocks and get off blocks. Um, he's going to make a good pro. Um, you know, Charles is an emerging offensive player. Uh, he battled injuries my first two years at LSU, uh, and he's finally getting healthy. So I think he's a guy that is on the ascend, and I think somebody's going to get very lucky if they get Charles, 
Turner on their roster. Now, as Amy Thomas was bringing to the outside, yeah. what did you see in the player when he was in the SEC, especially pushing against him, and then what are your excitements bringing him into your system? Not a lot of guys that can do it both as a kickoff return guy, um, you know, punt returner and a wide receiver. You know, he's a guy that you can hand the ball off to, you can throw it to him. He's a multifaceted guy. On your roster, if if you talk about uh, a guy that gives you a lot of options, he gives you multiple dimensions on offense and, and just really always felt when we went against him the last couple of years, it was a guy we had to game plan for. So we're really excited about his presence and his maturity that he brings to a younger uh, wide receiver room now without Brian Thomas and, and Malik Neighbors. And talking about those two specifically, obviously they're projected first-round picks right now. NFL franchises, what are they getting in Well, first of all, with Neighbors, an intense competitor, uh, and, and probably in my 33 years of being a head coach, one of the most explosive players after the catch. And I think we've all seen watching playoff games in the NFL the last month or so, yards after the catch are the separators right now. And so that's a Malik Neighbors. Brian Thomas is a matchup nightmare. His ability to extend down the field and separate down the field opens up offenses, uh, especially when weather conditions are difficult and crowding the line of scrimmage. He's a one-on-one matchup that wins games. So both of these guys are going to be valuable prospects when it comes time to make decisions on uh, who's going to go in the first round. That was LSU head coach Brian Kelly talking at the Senior Bowl the other day. And yeah, it was Something that uh, all week, not real much news I felt like was coming out about uh, Charles Turner or the defensive tackle Jordan Jefferson. Yeah, well, first off, I do, this is kind of a boomer take by me. but uh, <laughs> A you boomer? Know, there's, I've seen some criticism of LSU and how they didn't go head over heels into the transfer portal this year. And I like that. Like, I'm not against the transfer portal. I'm not against – these players having the ability to change programs and NIL and all that. I'm not against it. But I do think that if you want your program to be a long-term viable contender, you have to develop players. Like, I get it. There's going to be players transferring, and you need to take advantage of that, especially when you have needs, right? And I think LSU is always going to be a transfer portal uh, quarterback type of school. I think that's that's where you've seen success. You've seen Brian Kelly do it with Jaden Daniels. You saw Ed Ogeron do it with Joe Burrow. But – I don't think leaning on the transfer portal as the as the first and last option to to rebuild and retool is how a good, effective, long term college program is going to operate. And they're going to land transfers like there's going to be players that show up in the transfer portal. But you got to recruit. You got to develop players. And I, and I appreciate that Brian Kelly is doing that. And I think over time, you're going to see a lot of these blue blue blood programs get back to their roots of recruiting and developing and taking transfers when, when it makes sense. But I don't think that the, the method of just rebuilding through the transfer portal every year is sustainable. And if you're a coach that feels like you can develop players, then you should want to develop that loyalty. You should want to develop that, that culture around your program that guys don't want to leave. Right. Especially in L- at LSU where the NIL money is flowing. Ridiculous, it's right. flowing. You are not worried about, you know, uh, oh, I can go over here and make more money. Like, you're making money in Baton Rouge. You are a, you are a celebrity in Baton Rouge, <laughs> right? So I, I have no issue with it whatsoever of Brian Kelly kind of taking – like, first couple of years you have to do it. You don't have a choice. Right. But now that he has kind of developed his system and developed his recruiting, yeah, 
you know, do what you got to do. Get some transfers in when you need them. But if you recruited players and you made them promises that, hey, you're going to do the work and you're going to get better and you're going to earn a starting job and then we're going we're gonna to have success because you put in the work and I believed in you, that's how you build a program. Okay, and so I have no issue with it whatsoever. And I think what Brian Kelly is doing over time will be shown to be the right path. Yeah, looking at uh, overall, you got to be impressed. Obviously, the, what what he's done so far. I know folks are a little bit let down after last season with the defensive outing uh, showing that they had. But yeah. man, it's uh, a heck of a year. Obviously, on offense with Jaden Daniels, another Heisman Trophy winner coming out the pack there from LSU. And yeah, suddenly, yeah, you were mentioning with uh, the quarterbacks. Suddenly, LSU is like the transfer portal destination, and also uh, QBU, not even DBU anymore. Yeah, it was this idea that I don't know, like that people think they're going to become a less attractive destination because you're not like just trying to rebuild your entire offense and defense every year through transfers. And that's just, it's just not true. But, you know, getting back to to Jordan Jefferson and, and Charles Turner. Yeah. I mean, to me, the senior bowl for players like them for, you know, fringe draft picks, you know, they, they may go in the sixth round, they may go in the seventh round. Yeah. They're probably going to be UDFAs. At least one of them is probably going to be a UDFA. And like, this is where you earn those, you know, when, when you're a team that's, diving into the UDFA pool, these events are so valuable because you're meeting with teams and they're saying, hey, you need to work on this, you need to work on this, you need to work on this. And then, you know, a month or two down the road, you go to the pro day. So same scouts are like, yeah, okay, I see the progress. I see the work you put in. And that's the type of guy you want on your team. So, you know, and, and that's what's important to Charles Turner, to Jordan Jefferson. I didn't get a chance to talk to Jordan. I did see him rip a UConn uh, offensive lineman's helmet off. I retweeted that for sure. Yeah, not a great look, but you know he's he's he's, he's passionate. <laughs> you know you could you could spin that. Uh, the UConn player <laughs> had just as much. You know Jordan's gonna get the grief because he ripped his helmet off, but the UConn player was, <laughs> was the one instigating. So I, I, I'm not mad about it. But Charles, I thought had a really good approach. I really appreciate it. I got to talk to him for a couple minutes, and you know I, I just I like how he's approaching this. He, he's been working all three interior line spots. You know, and, and I think that's what you have to do when you're a fringe draft pick and you have to be versatile and you have to show that you can do that and you have to show that you put in the work. So I, I like Charles. I think Charles has a really good mindset and I wouldn't be surprised to see him latch on uh, and, and be one of these depth linemen in a couple of years. Folks, for the uh, all you parade goers out there, all the stormy weather tomorrow, there's been a lot of parade shuffling. You can get the p- complete revised schedule at WWL.com. You could also be the first to know the latest on the weather and parades. Go to WWL Radio Breaking News Updates. Yeah, just WWL.com slash follow. With one simple click, you can get our breaking news updates sent directly to your phone for free. That's WWL.com slash follow. We'll be back with another segment here of Sports Talk right after this here on WWL. I mentioned the LSU gymnastics teams got a matchup tonight against Arkansas tomorrow on WWL. LSU men's basketball catch another big SEC battle against the Razorbacks. The Tigers end their really end their three game losing skit. It's an early pregame 10:30 a.m. tip off at 11 tomorrow on WWL and of course the free Odyssey app. We're going to wrap up our Senior Bowl coverage uh, brought to you by the Spirit of First American Bank at Banking tradition since 1910 getting your take mr nowak what were your top prospects that you feel that you got to see in this week of practices in uh, mobile alabama yeah you know on the podcast this week we did our first uh you know mock draft early right. in the week and it was kind of a pre-senior bowl mock draft and i you know kind of just get get it set and the guy i ended up with was taliese fuanga and that's how you say his name i asked him uh 
and you know I didn't know much about him at that point, and I kind of have gotten into it since. And I got I talked to him at the Senior Bowl. I watched him. He's just a hulking behemoth of a man. And the the more I watched him play, the more I got myself thinking: if he's there at fourteen, yes, viable. The Saints option. are taking him at fourteen if he's there, and he's a right tackle prospect, right? Like I don't. I, he could potentially move across the line, but to me, this is the Ryan Ramchek insurance that I want because I'm concerned about Ryan Ramchek long term. Right. Uh, he's my top. He's my top target. He might be the best player at the Senior Bowl if it, when the, all things are said and done. Um, you know, Darius Robinson. We we talked we talked about him with Joe, and he is super intriguing. And if he's there, you know, I would probably want to see if I can get him at 45. But I just I don't know if he's going to be there at 45. And so, he's the guy that overcame a neck injury too, right? No, that's, no. that's Layatu Latu. Okay, yeah. So he's another. He he doesn't fit the profile for the Saints. I don't I don't think that they're going to take a long look at him. He just doesn't make sense. He just does not fit their prototype at all. So I I mean he's a good player. He's going right. to land somewhere, and he's going to be a first rounder. But I just not don't for think, the black and gold. I don't think he's going to be for the Saints. Quinion Mitchell, cornerback out of Toledo. This dude just – he just plays. He just balls, man. He's good. And I was questioning going in. I was like, okay, Toledo, yeah, he's locking up guys in whatever conference they play in, right? But what happens when he goes up against Roman Wilson, Lad McConkey? He was shutting him down. Yeah, I, I don't know who the rep was against, but it looked like he was jogging in coverage. It was oh, like, man, he's good. <laughs> he's so good. And so, yeah, he's he, he might have been the best defensive player at the Senior Bowl. And that's saying, what the, how do you end up at Toledo? <laughs> you know, and, and but he's a very good player. Really impressed with him. A wide receiver prospect that I don't know if a lot of people are talking about, but he could end up being a first-round pick. I would probably gets into the second round early day two. Is Xavier Leggett out of South, South Carolina. Carolina yeah. He is impressive. And you know, he reminds me of Michael Thomas, right? <laughs> he reminds me of that type of player. Now, I don't think he's as refined. I don't think his hands are as good as Michael Thomas. And, and hopefully not as tweeter as, as Michael he, Thomas yeah, is. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, <laughs> Mike Thomas didn't tweet like he does now when he was a rookie. But, you know, I Mike Thomas was a second-round pick, right? You know, and, and it, I think, that, you know, if you're looking to rebuild, get yourself a physical, you know, athletic marvel of a wide receiver. He's a guy that I would look at. Devondre Sweat out of Texas is incredible. You know, he's just a force of nature. <laughs> you know, you watch him in these one-on-ones and these offensive linemen don't have a chance. <laughs> he was really intriguing. And uh, the tight end that I really like, and we mentioned Dylan Lobe, you know, this running back that I could see the Saints looking at as the UDFA and being like, okay, I like what I see here. Um, kid out of New Hampshire, you know, but he does everything. Danny Woodhead clone. That's what I'm going to go with. But the tight end that I like, and I know uh, Joe had Theo as his top tight end. My top tight end was Ben Sinnott. Okay. Out of Kansas State, he's you know H back. He can be that fullback. You know, he's the type of guy that you could bring in and not have to carry a fullback because he can play fullback reps. He can do those types of things. He's just versatile. He's quick. He can get downfield. He can make catches. Great hands. Uh, so he's one of my top prospects. And then, like we mentioned, uh, you know, Roman Wilson, Lad McConkey, very good. Johnny Wilson is Johnny. an intriguing wide receiver. He's six six out of Florida <laughs> State. I don't, and you already have A.T. Perry, so I don't know if the Saints would look at him. But he was, you know, he's 6'6 and he can move. But Devontae Walker, North Carolina, fastest player at the combine this week by far. It wasn't even close. He reminds me of kind of a Mecole Hardman. You know, he, he reminds me of all of the wide receivers that inevitably end up on the Chiefs, <laughs> right? Marquez Valdez-Scantling, these types of guys. I would be stunned if he doesn't end up on the Chiefs. But fast, just a burner. Question the hands. I question the hands. But, you know, you can, you can get better. You can improve. You can't get faster at the NFL level. You know, you're either fast or you're not. 
dudes fest. So I, I like him a lot. That's that's the last one I got. Appreciate that, Jeff. Uh, looking forward to what happens uh, next week, obviously, leading up to uh, more coverage of Saints. We'll get into more of the offensive coordinator talk. Clint Kubiak looks to be the Saints man. Uh, you can find out more at www.com. Also, check out the Odyssey app. We'll be talking about it on Inside Black and Gold as well. Check out the podcast. Woo-hoo. Have a good night, everyone.